Welcome to Dudes on Movies, a podcast where dudes talk about movies. I'm your dude, Scott. I'm your dude, Dave. And today we're discussing 2000's Quills, directed by Philip Kaufman and starring Jeffrey Rush and Kate Winslet. But before we do that, let's talk about what we've been watching. Dave, what have you been watching? Um, I watched The Lost City of Z. Oh, that's been on my list. Oh, yeah. You got to check that out, dude. I just read the book. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Well, you're way ahead of it than me. Okay, <laughs> that, that's cool. Um, yeah, I hadn't read the book, but the movie is excellent. Uh, mm-hmm. Charlie Hunnam and Robert Pattinson are both awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I was totally sucked into the story. Uh, and the idea of like going through what they went through and then going back two more times. Yeah. It's just, and it's actually, I guess it was actually seven more times in real life, apparently. Um, like mm-hmm. way more than they show in the movie. Um, exploring is a dangerous business. It always has, and it always will be. And, mm-hmm. um, man, I, I'd love to do it, but I also would love to not do it, mm-hmm. you know, because yeah. of what you can run into. Yeah. I, I imagine the movie does justice for this book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've heard great things about the movie. It's an underrated gem apparently. Yes. Uh, yeah, I definitely want to check it out. I think it's on Amazon. It is cool. Um, and there's there's another performance in it by Angus McFadgen. He played Robert the Bruce in Braveheart, but mm-hmm. like you know, way back in the day, he's now he looks a lot different, and he's com- playing a completely different character in this. And uh, once you spot him, you're like, oh, that's him. And then, mm-hmm. but he's he's a horrible guy, and it's it's another great performance in the movie, dude. That's awesome. Yep. Um, I watched Last Flag Flying, uh, oh, Richard yeah. Linklater's newest film. Yes. Um, it's a sequel to Hal Ashby's film, The The Last Detail, from the 70s. Oh, cool. Uh, and I think that was Jack Nicholson's first Oscar nomination. I love The Last Detail. Um, yeah, it's pretty good. I'm not in love with that movie, but I thought it was pretty good. And Last Flag Flying does a great job of being the sequel to that movie. Cool. It has the same kind of feel. Uh, all the actors in it. Brian Cranston has the Nicholson role now. Mm, okay. And he totally embodies this character. Salvador, <laughs> I think his name is. I yeah. can't remember, but... Uh, it's, it's a really good movie. It was great. I mean, I got some of it. I kind of just got a little bored with, but that's kind of the style these movies have where there's not a lot happening. Right. But, um, yeah, that performances are dynamite. And man, I have never like all of a sudden I just burst into tears at the end of the movie. Wow. I was like, God damn. (laughs) And it touches on, you know, it's a link later thing. So it's philosophizing. It touches a lot on patriotism and like military bullshit. Yes. And, Grief, which we'll talk about soon Excellent. In, yes. in our recap episode. Right. But uh, yeah, it's a, it's a decent movie. I'd say watch it. Okay. Cool. So now let's talk about Quills, Dave. Mm-hmm. Why don't you give everyone a synopsis? Okay. So Quills. Um, this is a, a fictionalized retelling of part of the life of the Marquis de Sade. Uh, he was a French nobleman who was also a famous libertine who wrote salacious literature. And... What you need to understand is is that this is not a a biopic, you know, mm-hmm. it's just a story that's based on a play by Doug Wright in which the marquee is a character. Um and they they take a lot of liberties with with uh you know what actually went on at the Sheraton Asylum, mm-hmm. um both with him and the other characters we meet in the film. Uh and it's all it's really more of just kind of a, a way of looking at what censorship is and what repression is and how in the 1800s we were dealing with the exact same issues that we deal with today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think this is a pretty good movie. I don't know mm-hmm. what Scott thinks about it. Uh, he hasn't, he, I, I haven't shown my cards yet. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Uh, so I would love to know. Okay. You want to hear it right now? Yeah. I thought it was okay. Okay. I'm, I didn't love it, Uh huh. but I didn't hate it. All right. Um, 
Yeah, just kind of, <laughs> it's an all right movie. I had a feeling that would happen. Yeah. Let's kick it off, Dave. Yes. Why don't you kick off things here? Okay, so um, what we, where we begin is just like with a, uh, um, we're in the French Revolution, and the Marquis is looking down on the square as uh, like nobles are led to the guillotine. Mm-hmm. And he's doing a voiceover, Jeffrey Rush, as if this is one of the Marquis's tales. Uh-huh. Um, and it's about, you know, uh, a woman who is uh, awakening in her sexuality. But in reality, the, the woman we're seeing on screen is about to be beheaded by the guillotine mm-hmm. with all the uh, um, commoners uh, excited about it. Mm-hmm. He's watching, the actual Marquis is watching from, um, you know, one of the rooms in the Bastille. And th- this framing device then goes into like present day of 1804 at the Sheraton Asylum, mm-hmm. where the Marquis is has been placed by uh, his wife and other other nobles mm-hmm. in lieu of him going to prison. Right. So that's where most of the story takes place. Yes. And for people not familiar with the Marquis de Sade, will you give a little background? Sure. Yeah. Um. So he he's he's looked at in literary circles as something that is kind of just a, a curiosity. Um, I have not read a lot of his stuff, mm-hmm. um, mainly because some of it is almost unreadable. Yeah. Like it is, it is pure pornography. Yeah. It's a lot of it's like just dime store garbage. Yes. Yeah. And the one story of his, I tried to read, uh, the 120 days of Sodom. Oh man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I got about 50 pages into it, and I just, I, I did, wanted to chuck that thing in the Did sewer. you watch the movie? I watched Salo. Oh. Uh, because it was highly regarded as, you know. I can't bring myself to do it. And, you know, you shouldn't. Okay. Good. Because <laughs> I, 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 when I hear, like, Steven Spielberg and Martin Scorsese, like, you know, worked tirelessly to get the, uh, to get the print, you know, into Criterion and everything, yeah. and I'm just like, why did you guys do this? I don't know, man. This, th- <laughs> I, I mean... <laughs> This is worthless garbage, and I I know that like the movie was actually um, a commentary on Mussolini's Italy, so it was like you know yeah. making a statement there. Right. But but the actual content of what the Marquis wrote down, I mean, holy God, it is just it is a catalog of perversions, as the Abbe de Cumier yes. calls it. Yes, I love an encyclopedia of perversions. Yes. is what he says. That's right. That's I wrote right. that line down. Cool. It's, it's <laughs> wonderful. That's what Joaquin <laughs> Phoenix says to him. Uh huh. He says it's not a work of art. It's an encyclopedia of perversion. <laughs> <laughs> and I love too that like all of a lot of a lot of literary scholars have have made these. Um, criticisms of the Marquis' work and yeah. that's all in this movie the, uh decomier usually is the mm-hmm. one who who you know lobs these criticisms at him mm-hmm. like take what the Marquis did and, and understand that okay free speech is very important and everyone should be able to to, to you know to put right. down on paper these kinds of things it, it, it should never be banned but yeah. whether or not it's you should read it is up to you that's my favorite thing the movie brings up right is this guy is basically imprisoned in an insane asylum uh just because his wife is a noble and stuff and she's fighting for him not to go to a normal prison exactly. or be executed or anything like that. Right. And uh, the thing is, he's writing all this terrible stuff, like you said, mm-hmm. but he's imprisoned for it. Right. You shouldn't be imprisoned for writing this crap, which you can't now in America. I know. So so we think. <laughs> so we think. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, you, you generally you can't. You can write whatever you want. Right. But um, not here. I like how it's... You know, the turn of the 18th century, and it's showing this kind of fight 
for freedom of speech. That's right. I really like that aspect of the movie. Right. Even though I don't like what he's writing too much, <laughs> I do like one thing he writes. It, it's my favorite <laughs> scene. We'll get to it in a minute. But, okay. Um, so uh, what is happening is he's imprisoned here, and Madeleine... Is that how you pronounce it? Madeleine? Uh, Madeleine. Madeleine. It's, mm-hmm. They're all French. So, yep. uh, but It's Kate Winslet. She's great in the movie. She's awesome. Uh, she's smuggling out his writings so that they can be published. Right. Because she, she really likes reading his stories, and she's fascinated by the marquee. Mm-hmm. So she's smuggling all this out for him, and it's getting published. She gets a cut of the money, I think. Yep. Um, she's just like a, a housemaid. For the, the, the laundress. Yeah. She mm-hmm. does the laundry at the asylum, and her mother's there too, right? Right. Uh, so she's doing this, and... They get out Justine or whatever. Yeah. One of his most famous works. And it gets printed. Napoleon finds it and he gets pissed. <laughs> and he, wants to, he sends Michael Caine to take care of things. Yes. Um, so Joaquin Phoenix runs the asylum. And uh, he kind of encourages all this freedom of expression as therapy. Right. Uh, but Michael Caine is more of the, I'm just going to torture you until you're better. That's right. You know, so he comes in to take care of things. Yes. And that's kind of the, the thrust of the story here. Right. Uh, Michael Caine is hired by the emperor to go in and stop these, uh, what Napoleon considers, you know, ineffective treatments. Mm-hmm. And like the whole thing of, of de Coulmier, uh, that's what Joaquin Phoenix plays, Abbe de Coulmier, this priest who runs mm-hmm. the asylum, is, you know, him wanting to... Uh, him wanting the marquee to write in order to like you know get these demons out of his head. Yeah. The whole th- point is that he's not supposed to publish it. Exactly. He's supposed to write it and then just like have it be. Right. It's out. Yes. You know, it's like crumb. You yes. Know? Exactly. He, he he has to get these out of his system. Uh-huh. You know. He has to get it out, <laughs> which we see drives him insane. Yes. In the movie, when they deprive him of his quills. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um. And you, you brought up Madeline. And I think it's important to note as we go through the story that, like, I, I think Maddie is the only person who understands how to use the Marquis's work. You know? Um, she what do you re- mean? Well, because she reads it and then she puts it aside. Okay. She just treats it as stories in a book. Right. Whereas, like, Roy A. Collard, uh, Ma- Michael Caine's character, is getting, he's offended and he's upset and he wants to censor it. He wants to, like, prevent right. it from being written. Mm-hmm. Uh, De Colmier, uh wants it to, like, act as therapy for the marquee. Mm-hmm. Um, but she understands that this is just a farce. This is just a frolic. Right, yeah. And I'm going to uh, enjoy the marquee's wit, and then I'm going to close the book and put it back on the shelf. Uh-huh. And right. it doesn't make her a bad or good person. Um, she's mm-hmm. just kind of, uh, like, having a laugh, and that's that. Exactly. And the movie does have this sense of dark humor throughout it. Of course. Which I... I actually really like that. Good. I, I like that kind of stuff. Not all the time, uh-huh. but I liked it in this movie for the most part. Okay. My favorite scene, I'll get to it now. It's yeah. when uh, <laughs> Maddie is reading a story to her mother in, in their chamber or whatever. Yes. And it's about the guy who digs up a corpse and makes <laughs> love to it. Yes. <laughs> and they're just like so enthralled by it. Her mother's blind. She can't read. Maddie's reading it to her by candlelight here. Yes. And they're having a good time. And like... Uh, she reads a line about how he he's got the corpse and her bones are falling out and stuff like <laughs> as it's pretty disgusting but the mother's like that's terrible and they they like say something to each other and then the mother's like well go on I know, you know she wants to keep going <laughs> it's really funny and then Maddie like reads ahead a bit without saying it out loud and kind of giggles uh-huh. and the mom's like well what is it what is it <laughs> she says she gave her the best compliment you could give and they start laughing, and she says, well worth the dig. God! And, I mean, they both start just, like, 
like they start giggling like little kids. Yes. Yes. Like oh, like banging their knees, uh-huh. slapping their knees. They loved it. Right. And I, I just thought it was hilarious. Their reaction was so wonderful, and it it's I know. lovely. It, it really is a great mm-hmm. scene because, like, yeah, the I, I said that Maddie's the only one who understands it. I mean, obviously, Maddie's mother also really understands. Mm-hmm. Like, like she is probably not someone who would be entertained by literary porn. And yeah. yet when it's being read to her, she's like kind of just enjoying the, the unacceptability of, of yeah, this right, story, yeah. you know? <laughs> um, it, it, like, and it, during that scene too, there was one of the, one of the best Desaad passages uh, is when he's, he says that um, he found his perfect woman, a maid six decades, his senior deceased a dozen years. Oh my God. That is, <laughs> that, I, I mean, that is truly disgusting. It is. You know, I but, think Kate Winslet's performance really sells you on like buying into it. I know and enjoying it. And this movie is like uh, Doug Wright and Philip Kaufman. Doug Wright was the screenwriter who also wrote the original play that had been running for like ten years before the film got made. Mm-hmm. Um, they they really credit Kate Winslet as the muse of this movie, both in the story and in just behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. I mean, when she was coming off Titanic, she could do whatever she wanted. Oh yeah. And she was like sent, you know, hundreds of scripts. They were just sitting in her house, you know, like, like, and this one went to the top, mm-hmm. you know, even though it didn't get made right after Titanic, she was always pushing for it with her agent and everything saying, let's, let's do this. And they were like, well, it's a supporting character. She's like, I don't care. I want this. Mm-hmm. Let's do this. Right. And, um, I'm really, I'm really glad she did because I, I personally really like the movie. And we know Kate makes awesome decisions. She does. So she does. And she can do anything. Mm-hmm. So good on her. I man. know. Um, and then also like they're using, they're understanding as just kind of what you said, just, it's like this story yeah, and it's humorous and right. it's satirical right? and whatever. It could be titillating. They could be, you know, they could be enjoying it sexually too, but of they're not doing anything about it really. Exactly. But then there's the other people in the mansion, in the asylum who are like having three ways because it arouses them and things, <laughs> yes. you know, like, so like the, the stories you interpreted by all the different facets of life differently uh-huh. and everyone sees it a different way. Right. And is that bad or good? Well, it's it's up for debate, I, I guess. Know. I mean, you know, but you shouldn't censor it. No, right? of course you not. You shouldn't censor it. Of course not. And there's a, another thing the movie brings up is like this stuff is causing problems in society. Like the one the one guy who's in the asylum kind of gets all riled up. That he's one of the more Bouchon. the mental mm-hmm. patients. Right. Bouchon and he tries to rape Kate Winslet. Right. You know, uh, Almost few times throughout the movie, yeah, and ultimately at the end, he he accomplishes his goal, yes, which we'll get to. So, you know, Michael Caine is seeing this as you know this is inciting all this violence right. and stuff. Early in the movie, when we first see Kate Winslet smuggling out a story, mm-hmm. she's trying to run to the gate and around the patients, and it's like the first time we see Joaquin Phoenix, yeah, and Bouchon kind of steps in her way to yes. stop her. Like, I think this guy has these tendencies anyway. Okay, you know, you're right, you're absolutely right, mm-hmm. but. Yeah, he probably shouldn't be reading this stuff. Right. You know, if this is what happens to him. Just like the guy who is a pyromaniac. Yeah. You don't put fire around that guy. No, no, you know? no. And we see what happens with that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's not the Marquis' fault. He even says earlier, like, if some guy walked out onto a lake and drowned, would you blame the Bible? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. I know. Exactly. <laughs> so, you, you don't put the, these kind of tools in people's hands who shouldn't have them. Right. The best way to treat this kind of, of literature or this kind of material is to be in the hands of someone like Madeline, you yeah. know, who, who just understands what it's for. And 
the the other part of the story, of course, is not only what what Michael Caine's character Roya Kalar represents, you know, with censorship and everything, but also hypocrisy, yes. religious oh, hypocrisy. Good lord, yes. Um, and in his case, it's that after he first comes to the asylum and tells Abbe de Cormier, you know, we're going to shut you down unless you get the marquee under wraps. He then has a personal errand to run. He goes to the convent and. There is, they have procured a young bride for him. It yep. was an orphan girl who they've taken care of until she's about 15, and she's now been promised to a 68-year-old Michael Caine. Mm-hmm. She's played by Amelia Warner, and she looks every bit the ingenue that you're picturing. Yeah. You know, um, she does not deserve this fate. No. Um, Michael Caine gathers his prize, yes. takes her home to this... Huge mansion that needs to be fixed up. Exactly. He's hired a carpenter and an architect and everything. And that's a big part of the story, which Uh I love. (laughs) Uh, Because Michael Caine gets it, you know? (laughs) Gets his. I definitely want to talk about that one part. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, (laughs) so (laughs) he goes there with his bride and he's thinking, all right, we're rich. We're going to get a mansion. I got a a young bride. Everything's perfect. And she'll want for nothing, but I'm going to keep her a prisoner. Yep. And she'll love me. Yep. Yeah, okay, sure, Michael Caine. He, God damn it. He tells the architect, you know, uh, if just make this great oak door on her room, but I want you to have it locked from, you know, uh, from the outside. Is that Pruce? Pruy. Pruy, yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Stephen uh, Moyer. Stephen Moyer's character. <laughs> <laughs> I saw him. He, he, he co-starred in that uh, NBC revival of uh, Sound of Music. He plays Captain Von Trapp alongside Carrie Underwood. Okay. Yeah. I have he, no interest. He's actually... I, 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 I know that you are not on the musical <laughs> tip, but I, uh, you know... <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Right. Uh, and then that night, he comes into his wife's room, because back then you had separate bedrooms. Yes. You know? Separate bedroom apartments, yeah, right? Exactly. And he comes in, and he's all... He's very forceful. Yep. And rude. Yep. And mean. And says... Didn't the nuns teach you of your wifely duties? And he basically rapes her. He takes her by force. Yeah. Yeah. And she doesn't do anything about it because right. what's she going to do? Right. She she knows she's his wife, but she has no interest in doing this. Yep. So she just kind of lets it happen. Mm-hmm. And Michael Caine's performance ooh, in this scene. Ooh, yes. I mean, yes. if you ever wanted to kick someone in the teeth, uh, like this would be the time. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've never... It's one of the very few times I've been extremely angry at a movie. Oh, yeah. Like a character in a movie. At a character, okay. Yeah, not at the film for doing that. What kind of audacity is this film doing? Right. But no, like the performance brought so much anger out of me. I know. So, I mean, that's a performance. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, And and it's, it's, I guess it's necessary to show just in, in order for you to know like what the Marquis and the Abbe and Madeline are up against because like they, they are being told that the Marquis literature is, is an insult to the, you know, religious and decent people. Yeah. And yet, uh, this same man is, he is committing an actual crime. Right. You know? Yeah. Uh, eliminate men, eliminate men. There you Th- go. That's all you can do. It's, it's the only, it's the only way this world is going to get better is if our kind yep. are taken away. If men are gone. Yeah. <laughs> We talk about it every week, it seems like. I know. But, uh, I know. <laughs> anyway, um, so this this act that Michael Caine performs, word gets out. Yep. And it gets back to the marquee. Yeah. And Jeffrey Rush is delighted. <laughs> and he writes a play about it. 
And instead of performing Shakespeare or whatever they were playing, the Happy Shoemaker was the yeah the Happy Shoemaker. (laughs) Um, They like it's another thing. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix believes you know this is therapy. You know these people in the asylum they're they're performing. They're they're this is therapy for them, Mm -hmm. and I agree with them. Yeah, this stuff is very therapeutic, and uh, but they all learned the lines for the Marquis's new play, which crimes uh, of love, the crimes of love. Which is basically a retelling of what happened uh, that night. <laughs> it's uh... and uh, there's a big cr- there's a crowd of dignitaries there. Yeah, people come to watch this and donate money and right. all this stuff. The the t- the proceeds from the tickets go to help the asylum. Right, you know, help the patients. Right, good cause. Yes, uh, and Michael Caine comes with his new bride, and some of the ladies say, "Doesn't isn't his daughter lovely?" <laughs> <They're> like, <laughs> Dude, that's his wife, man. <laughs> Isn't it disgusting, ladies? You know, that's disgusting, right? <laughs> and I love when, when, when in the asylum, they're, they're like retelling the story. Like the nuns tell two of the guys who work down in the in the basement, like what, what's going on. Mm-hmm. And then they tell their girlfriend who they're having the three-way with. Right, how it all the word gets back yes. to Maddie and yes. then the marquee, yeah. And then Maddie, <laughs> when she's telling the marquee, like it, it gets even better. She's like, and he's, he's old enough to have grandfathered her twice over, uh-huh. you know, and... <laughs> And the Marquis just like, yes. Yes. <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> and, and the way they show it is like there's, you know, in prison, there's like the, the little door you open yeah. to look through with your eyes. Uh-huh. Like you can see from Maddie's side, she's like telling the story through this opening and the Marquis like mouth is there like yeah. talking. It's, right. it's great visually. It is. <laughs> and, and I'm glad you brought this up because this is actually my favorite scene in the film. Okay. The is, play is the crimes of love. Oh yeah. man. It was so uncomfortable. <laughs> And Sharon Tan, the, the real Sharon Tan Asylum, where the marquee was kept and Decomier did these therapies, mm-hmm. um, like the, their theater was a big draw for high society. Mm-hmm. You know, people really did come to see these little theatricals that, that the marquee put together. Now, the crimes of love never happened, but it works wonderfully for a storytelling device. And the, it triggers everything. I mean,. And the, the actual content of the play. The play is brilliant. I mean, it's... <laughs> As a punch to the throat uh-huh. of the man who wants to torture you. Yes. It's perfect. It, it really is effective. <laughs> it's the best move you can make. Yep. And everybody realizes it. Yeah. Everyone yep. knows. Like, like and... <laughs> Uh, Decomier is sitting there like clutching his rosary as it gets more and more, you know, uh, yeah. explicit. Mm-hmm. You can see his face too. Like he's getting angry. He's yes. like, oh my God. Yes. He cannot believe it. He, he, there's no way that he lets it go on this. for way too long. He does. And eventually he's like, okay, he gets up and then like, as he's getting up, doesn't, isn't that when Bouchon's attempting to rape Kate Winslet? And Bouchon doing that is like what, what, sto- what actually stops, it stops the play. The play. Yes. Yeah. Like Bush, like uh, Maddie is backstage, like helping the actors get into their costumes and everything, yeah. and like setting up props and giving them their cues. And Bouchon comes in and like just tries to take her by force because now yep. he's by himself and he's allowed to do this. Mm-hmm. She fights him off with a with a, a uh, hot iron, a hot iron, and just burns his face with it. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so, do you feel that Marquis de Sade is in love with Maddie? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. And Joaquin Phoenix is yes. also in love with Maddie? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes, but they, they both are in love I with Madeline. I sensed both. Yes. yes. Like, neither of them wants to admit it for different reasons. Mm-hmm. You know, the Marquis would never want to show that kind of sensitivity because it would, like, ruin his reputation. Mm-hmm. Uh, Decomier doesn't want, to do, doesn't want to admit it because it would mean him giving up the priesthood. Yep. Um, and also, like, I guess, 
mm-hmm. he wouldn't be able to regard her as a child of God any longer. Mm-hmm. You know, um, both of them are, in my opinion, selfish reasons. Now, I I don't think that uh, Maddie is in love with both of them. She's in love with Decomie and and not the Marquis. Yeah, I agree. You know. Yeah. Um, and they would be a fantastic couple if you know circumstances allowed for it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, they could both give each other what each other needed. Yep. I agree. You know. Circumstances, right, man. Right. Circumstances. <laughs> Always getting in the way. I know. Um, yeah, so after this happens, after the play happens, right. um, Joaquin Phoenix goes and takes everything out of the Marquis' room. All the quills, all right. the furniture. He even takes out the furniture, doesn't he? Well, no, the, not it, at this point. Yeah, he just takes it, the quills it, and it parchment. It progresses yes, through. Yes, yeah. and the ink. Yes. And then he ends up getting another story out by using... Wine. Wine mm-hmm. on his mattress yeah. covers. Yes. So he gives that to Maddie and she gets a story out, you know? And and that, that the sheet was where she was with her mom. Right. And doesn't the sheet get washed or is that a different sheet? Well, the, the whole thing with the sheets is that, like, I guess it goes on kind of off screen for yeah. a while. And then that's when like the, uh, the, the other laundresses are hanging the stuff up outside and they see that one of the sheets is like turned pink. Yep. And, and it, it turns, you the, can see the writing on it. Kinda. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's when Roya Kalar does his investigation and, mm-hmm. you know, sees that, that this is happening. And, um, and then he puts it all together that, that, uh, Maddie is taking the, the sheets that have been written on, dicta- you know, like yep. copying it down on paper, smuggling out of the asylum so that his stuff can be published. And yep. she is, of course, punished for it. And mm-hmm. so is the Marquis with, you know, greater and greater uh, privileges taken away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Marquis has his room taken away completely. Right. And at that point, what he does, he uses his own blood. Yeah. To write a story on his clothing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I love it. He, he Maddie keeps going in his room with her key. He's like, come on, uh-huh. get in here. You know, like, I guess he would, they would say something kind of like, like discriminately, like, yeah. oh, thank you. You know, right. Here you go. And like, the, it would be like a code, like, come in here, you know, get in here so I can give you the story. Yeah. And like, she's not getting it anymore. And he's like, for God's sake, just come in the room. <laughs> Like, <laughs> I know. He's trying to, yeah, exactly. He's yeah, trying to be great. kind of jokey with yeah. her, and then she's not getting it. He's yeah. being all coy. Uh-huh. And then, she's not getting it. Open the fucking door. I got something for you. <laughs> yeah. And she opens it and comes in, and he's like standing there, bizarre, like posing, like my latest work. Uh-huh. And it's all over him. <laughs> it starts at my left seam. And like he's explaining it. <laughs> and then he, he's like describing how the longest sentence goes down his inner thigh. Of course, like, of course, yes, of it, course does. it does. <laughs> And, and you know that 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 suit. And Her those eyes sheets. go wide, like yes. Oh yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh-huh. And and the, those sheets and that suit are are really impressive props. Yes, it is. You know, because there's actual calligraphy all Someone over. Someone had this to stuff. do that. Yes. Um, I don't know what words are there, but it's definitely like it's something to see. Uh huh. It looks uh, good. Yeah. So she gets that out. Right. <laughs> and then they force him to be nude. <laughs> and Jeffrey Rush spends the last 50 minutes of the film. Oh yeah. Totally it around. Naked. Yes. <laughs> and not before like, like getting, you know, with, with when Decomie is forcing him to give up his clothes, mm-hmm. it's a key scene because he's, that's you know, a good scene. Right. The, uh, the marquee is like playing on the Abbe's sexuality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's stripping very slowly and giving off the garments, you know, one by one until he's mm-hmm. completely naked except for his wig, which he hangs on his dick. <laughs> and <laughs> yes, I forgot he does do that. 
Well, when he he's, he has his trousers on still, uh-huh. and he's telling you know the Abbey that he needs to remove them. Yeah, you know, you do it, and he's looking at him all salaciously, right? And you can see Joaquin is doing a great job here yeah. too, because Joaquin is repressing all his sexuality. He may not be homosexual sure. or be interested in men. But he is interested in sex. Yeah. And this is a sexy-related situation. <laughs> of course. The Marquis trying to seduce him. Yeah. Um, so he is struggling a little with this. Yeah. And he, I, I, I think he makes the Marquis take him off himself. He does. And then he tells him to do the wig, and then he takes his wig <laughs> off and hangs it on his junk. <laughs> yeah. Wonderful. <laughs> and, and you know, like, Joaquin, of course, reaches over and grabs the wig, you uh-huh. know, very forcefully. Yeah. Like, like, give me that fucking wig. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he... <laughs> and earlier in the movie, when when the Abbe was was lecturing the Marquis on having Maddie in his room, mm-hmm. um, you know, Marquis's like, well, you come in here and talk to me. He goes, the Abbe says, well, I'm not a beautiful young prospect ripe for corruption. Yes. And the Marquis goes, don't be so sure. Mm-hmm. You know, like, exactly. letting him know that, yep. that yeah, no... <laughs> Yep. And, you know, the, the scene culminates, of course, with, with him, with the Marquis now completely stripped bare, not only of his clothing, but just of his whole life and, right. you know, everything that he holds dear. And that's when, you know, Decomier tells him that, uh, you know, uh, don't overestimate yourself. You're, you're not the Antichrist. Um, mm-hmm. He says, you're only, you're nothing but a malcontent who knows how to spell. Mm-hmm. And, like, so now the, the, the Marquis is in a, a gigantic stone room mm-hmm. by himself with no- nothing to wear and uh, no way to actually write his stories. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, but that doesn't stop. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's pretty gross. Right. And and before this, even, I think Maddie is found out. She gets lashings. Yes. Uh, Michael Caine has her lashed in front of everyone. Right. And Joaquin Phoenix stops it. And he says, you know, lash me instead, mm-hmm. you know. And in front of everybody, like, okay, everybody knows now, yeah, you're in love with this girl. Yes. You know, you wouldn't do that for anyone. And right. Michael Caine calls him out on it. And it's like, don't be a martyr for these people or something along those lines. And he's kind of like jabbing them like, yeah, we see your weakness. He says, if you're going to martyr yourself, Abby, do it for God, not a chambermaid. Yes. Yes. It's a wonderful line. It is a wonderful line. <laughs> it's, it's a wonderfully written line. Yes. Um, and it's also indicative of the times, the idea that, that he would, that, that a man like Roy A. Collard would not look at someone who works in a laundry as a human being. He would just call her a chambermaid and nothing else. Mm-hmm. And he would string her up and, you know, basically almost slice her in half with a whip. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um. For literature. <laughs> For censorship. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's it's totally outrageous. This is how we got where we are today, folks. Uh-huh. Yes. Mm-hmm. It was tough. It was a yeah, tough, it was tough, a tough time. God damn. Oh, man. Quite the age of enlightenment. Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> um, whew. Yeah. As we, as we noted earlier, the, the Marquis does continue to write. The first uh, method when he's by himself is to... The Abbe decides to send Maddie, decides her to send her away from Sherenton, mm-hmm. um, both because he doesn't want the, the, the Marquis' influence on her, and he's probably feeling, you know, that he's not going to be able to, you know, keep himself away from, like, trying to pursue a relationship with right. her. Right. Well, and also he's fearing Michael Caine, yes. what he will do to her. Yes. He also yeah. thinks that, that, that Michael Caine will, will somehow, you know, fall upon her, or he'll shut down Sherenton, one of the two. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so he decides to send her away, and... Uh, she goes to tell the Marquis this news and then asks him to tell her one more story. 
Mm-hmm. And that's when uh, he decides, yes, I, I do have another story in me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're going to have to like... The, the way the cells at Sherenton are set up is that there's like... They're going uh, to play a game of telephone exactly. through the cells. Yes. Yeah. He's going to like go to his neighbor, yell the story. He'll go to the other one to, to tell the pyromaniac. And by the time it gets to the, to the, to the laundry hall, <laughs> you know, it's, it's... It's totally changed. Exactly. Um, it, it's a funny scene, actually. It's a really good scene. I like it. Right before this scene, though, doesn't Maddie go to Joaquin Phoenix's room? Um, she sneaks in there because she doesn't want to go away and they confess their love. I believe that's, it's, yes, you're right. right. That, it's right before this yes, because yes. the consequences of the telephone game would uh, not allow that scene to happen you're right. afterwards. You're absolutely right. Yep. But yeah, th- it's a great scene between Kate Winslet and Joaquin Phoenix. I know. So, I mean, you mentioned those two people. That's a good scene. Of course. You know, automatically. Course. They could be talking about baby gibberish and it would be a <laughs> wonderful scene. And it's fireworks too between the two of them. Oh I mean, yeah, the like, sparks like, are oh there. Oh my God. You know, because mm-hmm. I mean, these two are, they're, they're they're fantastic actors. This is year 2000. Exactly. Joaquin and Kate. I mean, yeah. Physically perfect. <laughs> I mean, like, like, like as good as, as sexy as you can get. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And, and, and the two of them trying not to be sexy. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. like, like trying to resist this temptation. And finally, you know, he can't do it anymore. And, you know, like he just goes for it. Uh huh. Yep. Um, and then he stops himself. Yep. Yep. Um, oh, it sucks. It does. And, and he tells her, you know, to go back to her room and, you know, because I don't know if I can, you know, uh, control myself. Exactly. And it wouldn't be good for either of them. Right. And then he decides to, you know, maybe I'm wrong. And he goes outside to like call for her again to come back. Yeah. And, uh, Mm -hmm. Charlotte is there. Yeah. The other chambermaid. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't say it was a jump scare, but it's kind of like, oh wait, that's not Kate. Well, I, I think it kind of is because there is a, there's like a. I don't know, but like, there's a cello strum on on the soundtrack when when it's revealed that it's Charlotte and not Madeline, yeah. because they, it's like she's a doppelganger from for from the back. She's wearing the same yeah. hairdo, the same clothing. It's Elizabeth Barrington's character. Yes, she's always she's been kind of against all this the right. whole time, but right. she hasn't really spoken up because right. she's just kind of keeping her mouth shut and keeping her distance a little. But she's really nosy. Yes, yeah. So she hears the Abbey. <laughs> Calling for Maddie in the middle of the night to return to his chambers. Yeah, she's going to... Something's up. Exactly. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Miss nosy pants. And the whole time this is happening, um, Simone, who is Michael Caine's wife, the 15-year-old, has gotten a secret copy of Justine... And she's replaced the pages of A Lady's Garden of Verse. Awesome. With these naughty pages. Um, <laughs> so she's just reading it while Michael Caine's laying around. It's it's hilarious. And, and she, she is into it. Oh, yeah. And she wants that architect, man. <laughs> she, she reads all the time. We always see her with books. Yes. Um, like, it's the only way she knows the world. And when she gets a hold of Justine, it awakens something in her. She understands what's happening to uh-huh. her. And she understands that uh, Stephen Moyer is hot. Yes. And, you know, like... <laughs> And she goes over to him mm-hmm. and just pretty much hands him the book and says, hey, check this out. Yeah. I'm like, hey, you like to read? Uh-huh. Here. Um, I need someone to teach me. And he says, well, that requires a teacher. Uh-huh. And, oh, yeah, the game is on. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? At first, he's like, like my lady. Yes. I can't believe you're how doing dare this. You? Oh. Yeah, how dare you? Then she's just there licking her lips, and he's like, all right, then. Exactly. Well, okay, <laughs> then. And it leads to uh, what I think, and everybody give me some room on this, because I know it's going to sound bad. <laughs> okay. I think it's the the best male orgasm ever captured on screen. <laughs> okay. And all right, I'm, all right, and I'm, yeah. You know, uh, what he does, he, he's 
Stephen Moyer is writing a letter to Dr. Royer Collard telling him that I've stolen your wife and uh-huh. we're, we're, you know, we're leaving. and we're leaving, we're in love and, and you can't do a fucking thing about uh-huh. it. And as he's writing it, he's, you can tell he's being pleasured underneath the desk mm-hmm. and man, he, he throws his head back and goes, ah, you know, like, like you can tell something's happening and I swear it's better than anything I've ever seen. <laughs> in, in in both in both legitimate cinema and the other kind. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, I, I I was it's, it's I was not blown bad. Away, it's not know? bad. Right. He was blown away too. He was. I almost knew exactly when it came out of my mouth. Yep, yes. Yep. Simone <laughs> pops up uh-huh. and says, "Tell him we will kill ourselves," or so I don't know. She, she says some crazy line. Exactly. We will thrust spears into each other's hearts. Yes. And yes. I don't know. Just, and we'll leave puddles yeah. of love. <laughs> oh God, yeah. <laughs> All over their new rug or yes, whatever. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's it, quite defiant. It is. And it's Which a, I love that. I do too. I think it's a great scene. Michael Caden you know? deserves this. Yes, of course he does. Uh, and then it cuts to the note uh, like nailed to the front door. As he returns, he reads it and is like, what? And he runs upstairs <laughs> and finds the book on the bed and opens it and is just like, Marky. Yes. He doesn't scream that, but, but you know, it, it's, it's, it's one of those scenes. He, he tears it up yeah. and throws the, the pages through the yes. air and, and, you know. And it's a, a lovely kind of fading effect into the next scene. Uh-huh. The pages are fluttering down. It's CG pages. Yes. Uh, and you see the words, like the sentences Pike floating staff. by. Pike staff. <laughs> yeah. Stuff like that. Right. Um, floating down and it, and it shows the Marquis room again or uh-huh. whatever. And I, I don't know. Yeah. It's good. It I like it. It is good. It. It's very it. good. <laughs> So, yeah, we get the game of telephone now. Right. Where uh, the Marquis is dictating his story through about four prison cells. Yes. All the way down to Maddie. And um, we've kind of gotten to know these different prisoners here. Right. Or patients, I guess you would call them. If yeah, they're, they're, they're all just... Yeah, exactly. But um, they all have their own characteristics, and they all are, are telling the story to each other and ruining the story as it goes. <laughs> It's wonderful. It is great. It's wonderful. And as it goes along, the tension starts building because I think a storm is happening also. Yes, there's a storm outside. A storm is starting mm-hmm. to happen. Um, and the, the final patient is Bouchon, mm-hmm. who we know is very dangerous. Right. And he's trying to tell it to Kate. And uh, it just, this sexy story's coming through, mm-hmm. and Bouchon's getting it and just going crazy. Right. And this guy is like riled up. Um, and the tension builds throughout the scene wonderfully. It takes it nice and slow. The pacing's excellent. The humor's perfect. It's a wonderful scene. Yeah. I can't praise it enough. Right. And then what ultimately happens is one of the patients who's, he loves fire, sees a candle in the other guy's room and reaches through the little crack in the wall and pulls it into his room Mm -hmm. and lights his own bed on fire and, um... Then the whole place goes to shit. Yeah. A, a, a prison riot basically happens. Chaos ensues. Yes. Yeah. So everyone gets out of their cells. The The employees are trying to put out the fires. Right. You know, people are throwing things out windows. It's just madness. And old time trying to put out a fire. Is, oh, yeah. Just uh, a, a line of buckets. Yes. You know? It, yeah. I mean, good Lord. And then I, I, I can't remember the prisoner's name or the actor, or but uh, the guy who likes the fire... Yeah. He is running around with a torch. He like yeah. gets a torch from one of the guys and is running around lighting other shit on fire. <laughs> he, th- this is his his fantasy come true. Yep. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he's like living out what he what he wants his life to be. Uh-huh. Setting fire. fires, you fire, know. Fire, man. Exactly. 
Um, and then you know, we go outside the asylum, and like the 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 abbe is uh, Dekulme is is trying to find Madeline in mm-hmm. all this chaos. Yeah, and uh, you know. He goes outside. He saves the the one girl from being raped by uh-huh. you know some other uh, uh, patients, uh-huh. and then Royer Kalar does locate where Maddie is. Yeah, he finds her, and he taunts the Marquis by looking at his cell. The Marquis is like looking out through the through the hole and like you know trying to get everybody. Hey, go in there and get Maddie. She's she's he knows you know, Bouchon up. is in that room with yes. Maddie, and Royer Kalar sees it. Decides to lock the door from the outside and let Bouchon do what he does. Yep. Um, which is, he kills Madeline. He causes her death. Like, he could have stopped it. Right. He could have saved her. Yep. But no, he let it happen because one less problem to solve. That's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's he's absolutely evil mm-hmm. and um, in the worst way because he's like, according to society, of course, he's looked at as, as, as a man of principle. And, uh-huh. you know, uh, that, of course, is... A problem we still have today, yep. you know, in every in every part of life. Yep. Uh, but yeah, it when 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 the abbe does find you know Maddie dead, um, mm-hmm. he realizes that that this has gone too far, and he decides to then, uh, or well, he agrees finally to let Royer Collar's treatments go. You know, yep. He's going to let to, the torture ensue. Exactly. Let's get medieval. Yep. 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 And the, the Marquis is subjected to tortures, as is Bouchon and mm-hmm. the other inmates. Bouchon's and... put in an Iron Maiden and locked in a dark room. Yep. For who Months. knows how long. I mean, yeah. Is he fed? Is I mean, right. his life is terrible now. Right. Right. The Marquis locked in a dungeon. Um, chained in there. Chained to the yeah. floor. Right. Yeah. Um, it's pretty extreme. They cut out his tongue. Oh, yeah. They do cut out his tongue. Yeah. So he can't... Um, Dictate stories to people. And before they cut it out, he tells the Abbe, would that I were so easily silenced. Mm-hmm. And he's right, because even with having his tongue cut out and being chained in a basement with no light, he uses his own feces to write on the wall more stories. Mm-hmm. Man. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know... Whew. Pretty crazy. I know. He, he He's dedicated to his work, if nothing else. And then the Abbey comes down um, and is trying to, like, hold him down or yes. save him or yes. something. And the Marquis, he's trying, he knows the Marquis's dying. Right. And so he's trying to save his soul before he dies and goes to the afterlife. Right. So he, he's, like, blessing him. He has the cross. He puts it against his lips. And the Marquis bites it and swallows the cross. In one last defiant move, and then he chokes on it and dies. He can't be saved. He's, he's no. irredeemable. <laughs> I mean, he, he is a monster, you uh-huh. know? Um, and one, one thing he says earlier in the film, which I really loved, is like, he's like throwing shit back into Joaquin Phoenix's face. Like, oh yeah, your wonderful, loving uh-huh. God. Right. He killed his only son. I only imagine what he'd do to a, a guy like me. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's, it's the most blasphemous thing I ever saw yeah. in a studio movie. Yeah, it is. It was a good line. It, Joaquin Phoenix tosses him <laughs> that Bible and says, why don't you read this? It's cheerier and more artfully written. And mm-hmm. he says, this monstrous God of yours, he spits on the Bible mm-hmm. and says, he throws it back against the wall. And he, he strung up his own son like a side of veal. I shudder to think what he'd do to me. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> Man. Wow. Yeah. Blasphemous, dude. Uh-huh. <laughs> 
And that's about the end, yeah. except for the little postscript we get here. There's a coda. Yeah. A, um, a pretty good one, if you about ask About a me. year later, it says, mm-hmm. um, I was not a fan of this, actually. Okay, let's get into it. Um, so uh, we find out, well, I liked part of it. Okay. Um, someone's, there's a new Abby who right. comes to, to run the asylum, um, and Michael Caine is there still running it, too, and it, they've turned it into a printing press building. And what they're doing is printing the Marquis stories yep. and selling it for profits. That's right. To uh, treat the patients is what we're told. I don't know if that's the truth or not. Right. I believe it probably is. The funds come to support the asylum. Yes. So uh, whether the whether Michael Caine is pocketing the money, who knows? Right. But, uh, <laughs> right. All we know is that now they're using the Marquis writing to fund the treatment of the patients. Mm-hmm. Uh, good cause. There yes. you go. That's nice. And the, the books are getting pressed. Which uh, freedom of speech is winning, uh, I guess. I know. Um, and the guy who's doing it is the biggest hypocrite on the planet. <laughs> he's just doing what is profitable. Yeah. You know? He's even kind of, I mean, like, he's made Charlotte now, uh, like, kind of his assistant. Uh-huh, and yeah. presumably his new lover. Um, oh, yeah. It's gross. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. she comes over and tells him about his appointments, and he says, thank you, Charlotte. He uh-huh. bows, you yes. know, like, very uh-huh. uh, chivalrously. <laughs> and... She, she's carrying one of the books, and he says, oh, go to page 250. There's a really nice passage in there. So he's enjoying the Marquis' work, Had he work never too. read it before? Apparently not. I mean, like, I, I would presume he had, and that's why he was so pissed off. Right, right. But, I mean... If you're, if you're on a conquest against this thing, uh-huh. wouldn't you want to be familiar with it? Of course you would. Yes, <laughs> that would be the logical thing to do. Yeah, who knows? Uh, and then the part I don't like is Joaquin Phoenix is now... Uh, imprisoned. You don't like this. I don't like this kind of the cycle continues ending that okay. happens. Right. He's locked up. He's crazy. He is now writing, you know, trash no- novellas, you know. <laughs> uh, he needs a quill. It's yes. like the Marquis soul has been transferred into Joaquin Phoenix. Yes. I, I didn't care for that at all. I understand what you mean about how it- it's-, it's a little bit cinematic and cheap. Well, yeah. If-, if you take it literally, yeah, that's what happened. Right. Metaphorically speaking is, you know, th- this continues. Yes. You know, and not, not just, not like Mark, not that Abby is, you know, just fulfilling in the role of the Marquis and right. another person's role, but like, this is going to continue to go on no matter what happens, yeah. no matter who does things, you know, this stuff will happen mm-hmm. and it will keep happening. You can't stop it. Right. That's what it's saying metaphorically. What, I don't like the literal part of it. That's fine. Yeah. I, I'd sort of take it as, yeah, like, like. Yes, the, the Marquis' soul may not have jumped into the Abbey. <laughs> yeah, not literally right. jumped into it, but yeah. But, but I think that um, the Abbey has also been driven mad by compromising his own principles yeah. and not standing up better to Royer Collard and telling him, this won't happen in my asylum, um, mm-hmm. and telling him to, to get the hell out. Mm-hmm. Um, and he also being driven to, to madness by his love for Madeline and, and like how that ended. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. um, because... Even before we, we get to this coda, what happens between the time Madeline is killed and this is yes. a scene of necrophilia, mm-hmm. or implied necrophilia, mm-hmm. uh, where the, the abbe is dreaming about having sex with Madeline at her grave. Yeah, he go like, we don't know it's a dream at first. Right. He goes in to where she's laying out on, on her, a, a stone slab mm-hmm. or whatever. Yes. She's dead. He goes and he, and you get him rubbing on her and stuff and uh-huh. you see it all. And he goes up and he, he starts kissing her and she's dead. And then what happens is she opens her eyes and it's 
a non-dead, like not cut up right. or injured right. Kate Winslet laying there, and they start making love. Yeah. Um, and at this point, you're like, okay, so he's like imagining what I thought is he's doing this to a dead body, but he's imagining it's her. Yes. Alive yes. because he's in love with her and he never had the chance. Right. Even though she's dead. That's disgusting, Joaquin Phoenix. <laughs> um, but then it cuts like he looks back at her and she's dead uh-huh. and he realizes what he's doing, which I thought is actually what was literally happening. But he wakes up in his room and I guess it was a dream the yes. whole time. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, you get necrophilia in this movie. There's no incest, finally, but but we do <laughs> well, get necrophilia. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. We but, get all kinds of terrible things. Talk about the encyclopedia of perversions <laughs> that, that our show dudes on movies yes, back catalog. Exactly. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> and then the movie ends with um, Maddie's mother bringing uh, quill and parchment to Joaquin Phoenix. And this is why I like it. Okay. Because. Roya Collard is showing the new priest around, um, and he gets to the abbe's room, and Decolmia says, so you're to be my successor, yes, to the new priest. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, he lets him know the situation. And when, you know, uh, Michael Caine takes takes the guy away and and denies him his quills, um, that's when Maddie's mother comes over and just unexpectedly slips him through the laundry chute. Mm -hmm. And I love her line of, use them well, you owe her that. You know, that's a good one. Yeah. It's like, mm-hmm. yes, my daughter is dead because of you and because of this other guy. So if you're going to do something here, you better make it count, mm-hmm. you know, um, and you know, th- that that's why I appreciate it. OK, cool. Yeah, cool. Because the most important character in the story, the best character in the story is going to have some kind of redemption, meaning Madeline, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. OK. Yeah. So that's the end. Right. Uh, anything else? Um, there, There's a couple things. Uh, You remember when. The, uh, the Marquis's wife was at the uh, was at the Crimes of Love. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. she's played by Jane Menelaus, who is in real life the Miss, Mrs. Jeffrey Rush. Oh, cool! I didn't know yeah. that. Um, and also at that same uh, performance, you know, there's always this uh, this this tune that's throughout the movie. This dun 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 like people hum it, uh-huh. um, and it's also played on like a like squeeze box and some other like French horns at, mm-hmm. at the Crimes of Love. The band there that, that's doing that uh, little orchestra is actually like um, it's a disabled actors troupe. Oh, cool! Uh, that was just locally, you know, they they just found them and they were like, "Hey, we're gonna be in this movie." And it it was it was cool because Kate Winslet was talking about how it was a real inspiration to her, you know, mm-hmm. for just in acting wise that that these people like, you know, they they get work in movies and and they they're doing what they love even though they've been you know, right, uh, dealt a bad hand. So, That's cool. Yeah. Um, Did you want to talk about the real marquee and how people viewed this movie? And yeah, all that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I know. Um, Marquee scholars think the movie takes a lot of liberties. They do, yes. They don't really agree with what it generally agree with what it shows. Right. This period of his of his life did not really happen like this. Apparently, right. exactly. Yeah. Um, and the one one thing I know that they have a big problem with is is just like the Marquis being in the the asylum, that 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 it was his wife's influence. That is true, but you know. Because he should have been in prison, it wasn't because of his work. It was because of the crimes he actually oh, yeah. committed. He was a terrible person. Yes. Um, I he's mean, murdered. He's raped. Absolutely. He, yeah. He's done everything you can name. Right. And they, they don't think that the, that the movie or the play like give that enough credit. Well, they kind of make know? him your hero. Yes. You know, we're supposed to cheer for him. Right. As, yeah. as a, a First Amendment hero. Yeah. You know. Right. Um, and also like. Roye Kalar was a real alienist around this time, you know, um, but he probably wasn't the tyrant that, that he's portrayed in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, 
disagree with with the real Abbe de Cumye about you know like treatments and and there, there's no evidence that he had this child bride. Um, you know mm-hmm. that's all completely yeah. made up. Um, and uh, the other thing that that like Saad scholars disagree with, of course, is the 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 sort of championing of Saad's work. You know, as as any as having any literary merit. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, most people who have written books about the Marquis de Sade spend half the time just making fun of the way he wrote. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I, and I understand why, because like that, but I, it's the, it's the only thing that the, the scholars have, the, the scholars like sort of say that I disagree with, because I think that the movie does touch on that mm-hmm. a lot. They, they actually do criticize his work. I mean, the Abbe de Cumier yeah. says to him, uh, the characters are wooden. The dialogue is inane. Mm-hmm. Only it shows is the worst of men's nature, you know? Uh-huh. Um, yeah. It is fair to the, the world. Abbey gives a real critique. Absolutely, I was like, "Wow, this guy yes. has read a lot of books." Exactly, mm-hmm. and when they're when they're going to take away his quills, um, after he throws the Bible at him, um, he also the Abbey tells the Marquis, "Why don't you try reading for a change?" Mm-hmm. Like he's like, "Ooh, a writer who doesn't read more than he writes—that's not good." Absolutely, yeah. and and that that is a yes, mm-hmm. that is perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the last thing was, it, it's, it's actually my favorite, like, sod passage in the film. And it's, a uh, it's very blasphemous again, of course, because all of his stuff was. Um, it's early in the movie when they're in Napoleon's court. Oh, God, it's, that's disgusting. It is gross. <laughs> uh, this guy, Monsieur Delbany, who's like one of, uh, you know, Napoleon's guys, is reading him passages from Justine. Mm-hmm. And he's getting more and more outraged as the story goes on. Uh... It's the in the story a priest is is like ushering a young girl into sexuality. Yeah. Um, and he says uh, in in the story the priest took a communion wafer, the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, and placed it on the girl's twitching orifice. Oh. And the way the guy does the reading, it's, right. it's like the actor himself is really relishing get, getting to say this stuff because he's walking around a palace. Right. You know. He would not be allowed to read this unless it was in this condemning of fashion. Of course. Of course. I, I, I love that scene. I love that guy's portrayal. It's so disgusting too, by the way. I just, yes, it's disgusting. Yes. And one thing I love, it's a line Jeffrey Rush gives when they're doing the game of telephone. He uh-huh. says, my prose is being filtered through the minds of the insane. <laughs> Who knows? They might improve it. Uh-huh. That's right. That's very, very it's great. Good. I, I love know. that line. <laughs> All right. So, Dave, would you recommend this movie? Yes. I would okay. recommend Quills, and I think it's a four-star film. Okay. I'm going to give it three stars. Okay. Uh Two and a half? I don't oh, know. Oh, all right. But right. it's a low three because we don't three. do halves. I'll do a low three. Yeah. And it's a light recommend. If, if you want, if this interests you, go for it. The performances are great. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, watch it for that reason. Right. Um, so, yeah. That wraps things up. If you like what you heard, please subscribe in iTunes. Rate it, review it. Most of all, share it. It gets more dudes listening to the dudes. And if you don't use iTunes, you can find us on any other podcatcher. Anywhere you get a podcast, we'll be there. Anywhere you can find the Marquis writings, we're, we're probably there, too. Yes. Because we're perverse. <laughs> anyway, so, um, yeah, or you go to dudesonmovies.com and find anything you need right there. Yeah, we're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Look for Dudes on Movies. Our email address is dudesonmovies at gmail.com. All right. And we got a voicemail, 304-804-DUDE. Call in and leave your answer to the question of the week. And the question of the week, what is your favorite Michael Caine performance? Favorite Michael Caine performance. That's right. Uh, 304-804-DUDE. Like as a house, directed by Earl Crystal, starring Amy Crystal, Kevin 
Until next week, have a good day.